How Pastors Must Counsel. That's our subject in today's Karen podcast. Is there a better topic that I should come up with? No, it's, 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 this is your gig, man. I just kind of came up with Okay, yeah. <laughs> You're listening to the Karen 10 podcast, where we bring our alumni back inside Karen University in just 10 minutes. And we're happy today to welcome Pastor Tim Buffard back to campus. I've known Tim quite well for close to five years as he served and supported alumni relations and functioned as president of our alumni council, for which uh, we're really grateful. And Tim has been in pastoral ministry for 29 years, has earned three degrees from Cairn. (laughs) Yes, three. And... uh, the BS in Church Ministry, MS in Bible, and the MS in Counseling. So I think it's safe to say that Tim is a Cairn man. Cairn man. I'm proud of that one. That's got to run into it. <laughs> Today, though, we're going to focus in on advice for pastors related to counseling, which is a particular passion of Tim's. Tim, thanks for coming by. My privilege. Glad to be here. Maybe we could start, Tim, with what what led you as a pastor to seek a professional counseling degree? Not not always do people put those two things together, but how did that develop for you? That's a bit of a narrative, actually, because early on as a pastor, as a young pastor, I couldn't dream about doing counseling and heard people who had been pastoring for some time saying things like, don't do it, refer, refer, refer. Don't do the counseling. Don't do the counseling. Okay. Too difficult, mm-hmm. too challenging, mm-hmm. and that's not what you're called to. And I bought into that partly because I trusted their insight, but also because I was intimidated by it and was unsure of how to handle some true, honest-to-goodness counseling situations in the church setting. Um, but over the years, uh, people continued to present with problems, with not just the obvious kind of day-to-day struggles, but deeper struggles, life issues. And as you build relationships with people and as trust is built and established, they tend to become more honest and more open, more vulnerable. And it became evident that I needed more training, some education, some working knowledge of these things uh, to, to help people more effectively. But alongside that was my own journey, which... Um, I think culminated in the reading of a couple of books and interaction with friends, one of my brothers, uh, and recognizing that while I'm doing this pastoral work and trying to help people become followers of Christ and grow in their faith and reproduce as disciples, uh, I'm not really working on my own soul. Um, And I didn't have any bad, horrible skeletons in my closet, uh, but it was obvious that uh, there was room to grow and my own issues deeper soul issues. So my reluctance to do counseling, but the awareness that it was necessary, my own journey, and the constant encouragement from people at Kieran University to keep coming back for graduate programs. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then as it turned out, I was here for the one graduate program and the last course was a required course in that program in counseling. And I assumed that it, we would read a book by Larry Crabb and compare it to a book by Jay Adams, write a paper on It'd it. be done. <laughs> maybe have an exam and be finished, right? But it wasn't that at all. In fact, they didn't even refer to those guys. And what hit me was that it was probably one of the most practical courses I'd had in regards to pastoral ministry. Um, and so I came home from the first night of that final course of that graduate program and said to my wife, 
I'm going back for another degree. And she said, not unless you divorce me. (laughs) (laughs) Because it was tough. Kids were young. um, But I was convinced right there and then I needed to come back and get it. Hmm. So has, in your view, the need for pastoral counseling changed over, you've been in ministry a long time, 29 years. Has, Has individuals need for counseling changed? Maybe so, maybe not. And if so, what uh, what are some of the needs that are different in terms of the issues people are dealing with? How do you shape those things in your mind? I'm assuming that the need has never changed, that the need for that kind of soul care has always existed. I think that we have a uh, deeper uh, awareness of emotional struggles, psychological issues, mental health the stigma that comes with those things has been significant, but that's changing in our culture broadly, but I, I think yeah. also in the Christian culture. And that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. So um, the need has always been there, but now people are embracing it more positively mm-hmm. and are seeking it out. Um, so I don't sit around thinking up ways I can get people to come in for counseling. I'm sitting there thinking, how do I manage all of this? Because mm-hmm. people have needs and they're far more likely now um, as opposed to even 15 years ago to come and ask for help. So I feel like the need's always been there. It's just we have a deeper awareness. At the same time, I think there are cultural dynamics that are creating more strife, more conflict, more hopelessness, um, anxiety, um, along with all the usual kind of personal, emotional, psychological issues that we as humans struggle with. And as those factors in our culture increase, the need for counseling, soul mm-hmm. care increases along with it. Let me do a quick sidebar here. Yeah. Um, you're talking about soul care, and I, I wonder if, do you include in that just e- not even so much the need for counseling, but also just how people are managing their lives in terms of rest mm-hmm. and you know how, how you schedule things? How much of yourself you you uh, exert in one area or the other, the balance of family and all. Do you see that as like a whole package or is that a separate thing from what you think of when you think of soul care with respect to counseling and so on? Actually, I think it is the whole package, mm-hmm. whether it's discipleship or having a mentor in your life um, or actually getting counseling or therapy that, that while there are obvious differences in those realms – there are right. a lot of similarities okay. and the care of ourselves mm-hmm. and uh, Sabbath rest and all that that implies in our m- modern culture is really critical to our health. Um, what advice do you have to just lay people who are believers, let's say, uh, Christians, who, you know, in terms of this soul care thing, what do you recommend for them? What's sort of the roadmap that you would say, I, I would advise any person to do this? in this context? I think it's really important for all of us, regardless of our vocation or our particular role in the context of the local church or the Christian community, to take good care of each other. And so this has to happen in community, and it can't be solo. Um, At the same time, I am responsible for myself before God, and I can't depend on my wife or my brother in Christ or my mentor to say, hey, Did you take time for yourself? Did you rest? Did you take uh, a retreat this year to to grow and to reflect? Um, So I think it's really important to recognize uh, taking care of ourselves 
involves taking care of each other and community. So the kinds of things that we do need to do are setting time aside literally for rest, for physical rest and the rest of our minds and our souls. Sometimes we can take Sabbath and rest and make work out of it. I've got to read a lot of books or I've got to write a lot of journaling, you know, do a lot of journaling. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes just being silent, being away, being apart, whether it's deep significant psychological issues or just maybe mild depression to say, are you taking time for yourself? Secondly, are you in community with people you are comfortable with, safe with, people that you can talk about how you're doing and be okay with that and derive benefit from being listened to. Um, but f- the same is true for pastors that, you know, we need to be doing that, right? Mm-hmm. But we need to be encouraging people to participate in that way. And I think every pastor has nowadays has access to resources, education, training, books to be able to help people more significantly and more um, more meaningfully uh, instead of just kind of coming alongside of them to marry them, to bury them, and to go to their family picnic in between, uh, to literally walk alongside them in every aspect of life, including the care of their souls. So I encourage uh, pastors who are starting to tap into the need for counseling to look for training opportunities in their area, consider some counseling um, education, um, read books, be aware, listen to podcasts, and don't be afraid to uh, make use of those things. I, I think we have to be very careful with those skills, just like we should be with anything. But I, we shouldn't shy away from providing soul care for people who are desperately in need of it. And it opens up other doors of growth and discipleship. Well, thanks for being with us here today, Tim. And thank you, alumni, as always, for listening. And Normally here, I, I spend a little time talking about how you can support the Cairn Fund and why, um, you know, Cairn is peopling the church, society, and world with strong professionals of deep faith and love for the gospel, people like Tim. But in this case, stick around after the podcast for a chance to hear Tim talk about that, why he supports that, a chance for a shot at a free book, and also Tim's own Cairn 10. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking with us. And now I wanted to ask Tim about uh, supporting the Cairn Fund. Tim, you have been a faithful financial supporter of the Cairn Fund for a long time. Uh, this supports student scholarships. Why have you done that? Well, I and was— And thank you, but— Yeah, why, absolutely. You're welcome. <laughs> like, why have you done that? I was a recipient of that kind of help, and I had a friend of the family who just took it upon himself occasionally to put money— in my account, I'd walk to the mailbox, open it up, and there's a receipt. And uh, I, I think it's critical to recognize that we, at this stage of life, I at this stage of life, have the privilege of helping another student. And when I interact with students here, that always comes up, the financial burden. Even today when we're talking. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I think it's critical, and it's such a privilege to know a, even a small amount is investing in the life of a student who's going to have an impact on a number of people that only eternity will tell. Mm-hmm. So Great. it's worth well, it. Thanks. And uh, you can go to cairn.edu slash give to make a gift today to the Cairn Fund. And thank you, alumni, for your ongoing faithful support. We, we really do appreciate it, and so do the students. On to our book recommendations. Uh, Tim, 
can you suggest a book that you think, if, if a person is in pastoral ministry and uh, wants to read a little bit more of, about counseling, what's, what's a book that should be on the shelf? There are a few books that come to mind, but one accessible and well-organized book is by Paul Tripp, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. Um, and it's the kind of book that succinctly talks about soul care counseling in a, a more relational aspect, not necessarily professional, although it's certainly mm-hmm. uh, reliable, uh, but very accessible for pastors and for even lay people. Yeah, that's great. I don't normally do this. I'm going to throw out one of my own. Yeah, Because hearing us talk with soul care, um, I recently read and have talked to a number of people about this a book that my pastor uh, passed on to, to me, Ian Murray's Reset, mm. uh, which is which is very much about it. reminds me of what we're discussing just in terms of this management of time and not even that so much, but, but that soul care concept. So uh, for either of these, if, if you comment on the podcast on social media, uh, you'll be entered for a chance to win a copy of one of these two books. Uh, so make a comment there. Let us know what you think of the podcast. Uh, share in some way, and we'll be watching for you, and we'll enter you in for that drawing. Now, to the moment of truth, perhaps. Mm. Tim Buffard's Karen 10. Are you prepared? I am. The first one's going to be tough, but okay. that's all right. <laughs> all right. I think we can do this. Here we go. Who was your favorite professor? Roger Peterson. Which book did you read during your time that had the greatest impact on you? Mm. Probably Systematic Theology by Thiessen. What spot on campus do you remember? I think I know the answer to this mm. one. What spot on campus do you remember the most fondly and why? Definitely the pond. Because? because it was there that my future wife and I expressed our affinity for one another. Okay. You mentioned that today yeah. with the students. So Good memories. Which class rocked you most at the core? And you get a because on this one, but try to keep it in one sentence. Mm. Probably a political science course I took as an elective. And uh, it helped me to make that connection between the importance of our faith and what it means in the larger global aspect of our experience. Mm-hmm. Who was your first roommate? My first roommate, five of them. So how many of you? <laughs> <laughs> Can you remember all five? I will, I will just tell you the one roommate that stands out in my mind, I still have dreams about him, is Rich Hart. And if he's out there, big shout out to Rich Hart. What was your favorite non-academic related thing to do while you were a student here? Uh, running, cross country, absolutely. Which food in the cafeteria was your go-to? Mm, Coke. <laughs> <laughs> what was your favorite off-campus spot to go with friends? The ground round, because they had wing night. I forget what night it was, but oh yeah, it was great. Do miss the ground round. Mm. What did you miss most after you graduated? Definitely the camaraderie, the relationships, the connections. And what is the one thing about Karen that you hope will never change? Location and their commitment to Christ, making him center. It's all about him. Tim Bufards, Karen 10.